0: One could argue that Creed Taylor is kind of like the forest Gump of Texas history. Howdy. You're listening
1: to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski.
2: And I'm Sean McIver.
1: And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In all of Texas, there is no one man like the almost mythical Creed Taylor, Present at the first and last battles of Texas, he was a soldier, ranger, father, and possibly even an outlaw. If history is the testament of witnesses, Creed's story could no closer resemble Texas' own. But first, what's your favorite indigenous Texas reptile?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with the bane of Panamaria, the, the rattlesnake.
1: Diamondback. I like the horny toad,
0: the capital of which is my mother's hometown, Kennedy, Texas.
2: Mm, capital
0: of horny toads. Now, I agree with both of you. Those are great, wonderful reptiles. But the best reptile indigenous to Texas is Gainesville's own Jake the Snake Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) Jake the Snake
1: Roberts. DDT. Agreed. We begin in Georgia in 1807, where Josiah Taylor of Virginia married Hebsabeth Luker of South Carolina. Josiah's cousin was Army Officer Zachary Taylor, who later became a top commander in the Mexican War and would later be elected President of the United States. Despite having two small children, Josiah looked for opportunities through adventure and military service, joining the Gutierrez-McGee expedition of 1812. This early and unsuccessful filibuster expedition was organized by Mexican revolutionaries and American soldiers of fortune in an attempt to drive the Spanish out of Texas and eventually Mexico. The expedition would capture Nacogdoches, Goliad, and San Antonio, but unfortunately
0: were defeated by the Spanish. Josiah suffered a number of wounds and escaped back to Louisiana. Josiah returned to his wife and two young children in Georgia, later moving the family to Tennessee and then Alabama. Josiah, however, was destined to return to Texas in 1824 when he and his family, which was by now seven children strong, moved to Texas as part of DeWitt's colony. This was one of the original Anglo colonies in Mexican Texas, which was located near San Antonio, around the town of Gonzales. Their tract of land eventually became part of the present-day town of Cuero. While not born in Texas, Josiah's fifth child creed got to Texas just as fast as he could. His family moved to Texas when he was four. The relationship between newly independent Mexico and its new Anglo colonies was fresh and full of promise. The potential of rich land and wide-open spaces had surely appealed to Josiah in 1812 and brought him back to raise his family there. Josiah taught all the boys the necessary skills of the frontier—hunting, shooting, horsemanship, and all of that stuff. Josiah died in 1830, but it's said that his sense of adventure was best embodied in young Creed. By the time Creed was 15, the tensions between Mexican rule and the rebellious Texas colony had come to a head. Though young, Creed was President Gonzales during the famed Come and Take It fight with the Mexican army, which was in October 1835. His memories of the battle and later march towards San Antonio were part of the sources used by historians to locate a cannon that may have been the fabled weapon that sparked the Texas Revolution.
2: And then he served under Jim Bowie and James Fannin at the Battle of Concepcion, which is a mission uh, that's near San Antonio. Now, while this isn't as famous a battle as the Gonzales Showdown, Concepcion was the first proper tactical engagement of the Texas Revolution, and it was a Texas victory. Serving in the early Texas Army under the command then of Stephen F. Austin was a bleak prospect with little in the way of food, supplies, or pay. But Creed would continue to fight and was selected as a marksman to accompany Jim Bowie to attack a Mexican supply ox cart train that was suspected of carrying bullion. This assault was carried out to preserve morale and hopefully to capture some much needed supplies. And when they attacked, the men once again defeated Mexican troops. But there's no gold in the carts, only cut grass for the Mexican horses. This battle became known as the Grass Fight. The Texian army continued on to San Antonio, which was known then as Bejar, and Creed would be one of the soldiers who followed old-time Indian fighter Ben Milam to attack and capture the city on December 5th. Their success in defeating the Mexican army has been attributed to daring, sharpshooting proficiency, and a crowbar. Now, the story is that Creed later related a tale where Henry Carnes, who would one day become a Texas Ranger in the namesake for Carnes County, pried open the doors of a small adobe building and used a crowbar to drill holes in the wall to shoot through. Now, old Ben Milam was killed in the battle, but it was a great victory for the Texans when the battle ended on December 9th.
1: Reveling in the success, Creed was dispatched to San Patricio near the coast and served as a messenger for Colonel Fannin as Texas forces prepared to invade northern Mexico. Taylor claimed that he was the one who reported to Fannin that Santa Ana's huge army had crossed the Rio Grande, intent on crushing the Texas Rebellion. On March 1st, 1836, he was ordered to join Colonel James C. Neal in Gonzales, where relief forces for the Alamo were gathering. He just missed the departure of the first and only group of reinforcements to the doomed garrison, 32 men from Gonzales that were led by Albert Morris. Eventually news of the crushing defeats of the Texans at the Alamo and other battles along the way reached Gonzales, where General Sam Houston had taken command. Houston ordered his troops to retreat and the civilians to destroy everything in the path of Santa Ana's forces. This flight east became known as the Runaway Scrape, and Creed and his brothers were forced to evacuate with his mother and siblings east of the Brazos River, in Grimes County, near what is now College Station. With his family secured, Creed rejoined the army at Buffalo Bayou, smack in the middle of Houston. He participated in the final victory over Mexico at San Jacinto, and according to his later accounts, was present at the capture of Santa Ana. As defeat drew near, Santa Ana had put on a private's uniform in an attempt to escape. Upon seeing the man, despite his regalia, the captured Mexican soldiers hailed and
0: saluted their leader. After the war, Creed returned with his family to their farm in the DeWitt colony. In 1840, he married a young woman named Nancy Goodhead and settled on Aclito Creek in what is now Carnes County. But the fighting was never done for young Creed. Barely married for six weeks, Creed took off to fight in the Battle of Plum Creek against the Comanche who sacked Linville. The next year, he became an official Texas Ranger and fought Indians with John Coffee Hayes at Bandera Pass, and later was wounded in the Battle of Salado Creek against invading Mexican troops. Can
1: I just say that Nancy Goodhead sounds like a Bond girl? (laughs) (laughs) Nancy Goodhead. (laughs) Okay.
0: He did return home a few times during those years as a ranger because three children were born between 1840 and 1844. Two sons, John Hayes and Philip, who was known as Doughboy, and a daughter, Caroline. In 1846, Creed would again become a soldier, enlisting in Captain Samuel H. Walker's company of Texas Mounted Rangers to fight in the Mexican War. He fought in the battles of Palo Alto, Resaca de la Palma, Monterey, and Buena Vista, all serving under his distant cousin, General Zachary Taylor.
2: Fifteen years later, and ever the soldier, Creed was called up to the Confederate Army in February of 1864, serving as a captain under former Ranger Colonel John S. Rip Ford. Now, according to his daughter Caroline, his company saw no real action, and they consisted of old men and young boys, including young Doughboy. The older brother, Hayes Taylor, stayed at home to look after the farm and take care of his mother. One of the men in the company, Will Spencer, ended up marrying Caroline and later served as a county clerk at the nearby town of Helena in the late 1870s and later as a judge in Junction through the turn of the century. After the war, tragedy would come on the Taylor family. In June of 1867, Creed's beloved wife, Nancy, died and this was the first of many deaths to strike the Taylor family over the next decade. Now at this point, his military service and his contribution to Texas should be enough to ensure his place as one of the grand old men of Texas history. But in the difficult period after the Civil War, during the Reconstruction, a much darker legacy arose. His sons from his first marriage,
1: John Hayes, called Hayes or Jack Hayes, and Philip G., who was known as Doughboy, would gain reputations as fierce and ruthless gunfighters during a period of lawlessness and strife that plagued Texas in the years after the Civil War. Hayes especially had a hot temper, once shooting a neighbor over an argument about a horse race. Kimball, Carnes, Wilson, and DeWitt counties would be home territory of what became known as the Taylor Gang. There is evidence that this gang became involved in robberies, cattle rustling, and the harassment of freedmen and unionists, much like the Lee Gang in the Corners area of North Texas. Another cousin, Buck Taylor, was clearly a cattle-wrestler and outlaw who also had a quick temper. While Taylor's sons were the most visible element of the gang, Creed's brother Pitkin was considered by some to be the leader, and his sons Billy and Jim and his sons-in-law Henry and William Kelly were also key figures. Eventually, as many as 100 men were associated with the gang, including a young, cold-blooded killer from Denton named John Wesley Harden who joined the gang in 1871 and became one of their key enforcers. Though in some circles the name Taylor brought terror to many a federal trooper, Unionist lawman, European immigrant, African American, or pretty much anybody who got in their way, the family didn't have the market cornered on lawlessness. Desperados, outlaw, and just common citizens were quick to use their guns to settle arguments, take the law into their own hands, or resolve private quarrels. DeWitt and Carnes County especially developed reputations as an untamable morass of violence and vendetta.
0: Now, out of all this chaos came the Sutton-Taylor feud, which became one of the longest and bloodiest feuds in Texas. The feud is generally believed to have started in 1866 when Buck Taylor shot a black Union Army sergeant who came to a dance at one of the Taylor homes. Jack Hayes Taylor later shot and killed another black soldier in nearby Indianola. The next year, Hayes and Doughboy would kill two more Union cavalrymen at Fort Mason after some Yankee soldiers harassed Hayes for being a rebel. They escaped from the soldiers after a gunfight and returned to Creed's Farm in Carnes County, but pro-union elements in the area aimed to stop the Taylor boys. On March 25, 1868, DeWitt County Deputy Sheriff William E. Sutton shot and killed Charlie Taylor, who was a distant cousin of Creed's, while attempting to capture a gang of horse thieves. Jack Sharp, another associate, was captured but would be killed while, quote-unquote, trying to escape. According to Chuck Parsons' book, The Sutton-Taylor Feud, the Taylor family motto was, Who sheds a tailor's blood by a tailor's hand must fall. This certainly would become the hallmark of this feud. It was not the first time the family had been associated with such factional violence. Creed's first wife, Nancy's family, had been key participants in the 1840s Regulator-Moderator War in eastern Texas. Her brother, Joseph Goodhead, was the first person killed in this political feud, and the memory was probably not forgotten by his nephews.
2: And while the feud took a personal tone between the Taylors and Sutton and his friends, it really had many of the elements of a political conflict. The Taylors represented anti-Republican, pro-Southern sentiment, while Sutton and his followers were representative of the Reconstructionist law, although Sutton was a native Texan who had fought for the Confederacy. Uh, this was made even more clear when Sutton and his men were appointed to Eben Davis's state police under Captain Jack Helm. The Sutton faction were called regulators for a while, which may have added fuel to the fire since Joseph Goodhead had been the first moderator killed by regulators in that old feud. Now, the feud kicked into high gear on Christmas Eve, 1868, when an argument over a horse trade resulted in Bill Sutton and another deputy killing Buck Taylor and his friend Dick Chisholm in a saloon in Clinton, which is the county seat of DeWitt County. The war was fully on. Soon, Sutton, Helm, and their men were trying to arrest the Taylor boys for outlawism and cattle rustling, while the Taylors were causing disruptions throughout the county. When suspected members of the Taylor gang were arrested, the Taylors would break them out, or they'd threaten to, there'd be some fights and shootouts, and then this cycle would continue. The tactics and approach of both sides came under criticism. Jails were almost a joke in Texas, and outlaws escaped regularly. It was not unusual for captured outlaws to attempt escape, Nor was it strange to see reports of killed while attempting to escape. Politicians and the conservative press criticized the lawmen, while others exaggerated the exploits and crimes of the tailors.
1: And in fact, many of those lawmen were often arrested. So the state policemen were constantly being put in jail for arresting outlaws.
2: Chaos. It just was absolute chaos.
1: In June of 1869, Hayes and Doughboy were ambushed by Captain Helm and a posse of regulators not far from Creeds Ranch, and Hayes was killed, though not before he killed five members of the posse. A year later, another posse led by Jack Helm arrested the Kelly brothers and executed them in cold blood in front of their wives. Governor Davis could not ignore this outrage and was forced to dismiss Helm from the state police, but Helm had been appointed sheriff of DeWitt County, so he would still be hanging around. Sutton became acknowledged as the leader of the regulators, which were simply the state police. Doughboy would be involved in several gunfights with Sutton's regulators, but eventually in 1871, his luck would run out and he was killed in a gunfight in Kerrville, Texas, west of San Antonio. Ironically, his death had nothing to do with the feud in the Sutton, as he had gone to Kerrville to escape from the fighting. Anyone living in the area was forced to take sides in this dangerous feud. Killing continued for many years, even past the end of Reconstruction and Republican power in Texas in 1872, the same year Pitkin Taylor was mortally wounded in an ambush. Also in 1872, a new player entered the game. John Wesley Harden arrived in Gonzales County to join his cousin, Manon Clements, in the cattle herding business, which at the time was often not too far from the cattle rustling business. Clements was a Taylor ally, and he soon lent his deadly
0: talents to the Taylor family as they sought revenge. In 1873, Pitkin's son Jim Taylor attempted to kill Bill Sutton, wounding him twice. That summer, several of Sutton's deputies were killed, possibly by John Wesley Harden, and Harden and Jim Taylor were finally able to gun down an unarmed Jack Helm in the streets of nearby Cuero, not far from Jim's grandfather's homestead. The war had turned clearly to the side of the Taylor faction, and Sutton was assassinated in the next year, in 1874, while attempting to leave Texas by way of Indianola. Standing next to his pregnant wife on the deck of a steamship bound for New Orleans, Jim and Bill Taylor walked up behind Sutton and shot him in the head. Witnesses reported his wife screaming, covered in her husband's brains. Though Sutton and both of Creed's sons were dead, the violence continued, as the old DeWitt colony was clearly divided into factions. The vendetta killings continued until a company of Texas Rangers, led by Captain Leander McNally, was sent into DeWitt County to finally crack down on the violence. They had little success, as according to the book Lone Star Justice by James Utley, neither side had any interest at that point in listening to the law. Bill Taylor was arrested and put on trial for murder in Indianola, one of the biggest criminal trials in Texas history up to that point. During his trial, the Great Hurricane of 1874 hit the port city, and Taylor was freed from his cell so that he wouldn't drown. Billy, of course, slipped out of town amid the 110-mile-per-hour winds and would never stand trial again. He would later ride with Hardin, Johnny Ringo, and Sam Bass, and was in and out of jail on other charges for several years before moving to Oklahoma in the 1880s.
2: Now, fighting continued on through 1875, with Jim Taylor being killed as well as Reuben Brown on the Sutton side. Harden took off for Florida, but it wasn't until 1877 that another group of rangers came into the area and finally put down the feuding. The legacy of death and bloodshed was clear, though. It's unknown how many died directly in the feud. Some accounts have the death toll around 30, with some as high as 100. Now, the big question was Creed involved. It's natural that he is a suspect, so to speak. He was the father of two of the key participants and the brother and uncle of many others. Some writers, such as James Smallwood, have speculated that he may have been the godfather and mastermind of the feud who planned all the activities but made sure he wasn't implicated or involved. At the same time, there's really no evidence that he was in on any of the killings. And further, there's no record anywhere of anyone even attempting to involve him in the feud. He certainly sheltered his relatives, but it could very well be that his reputation and his history as a fighter simply precluded any direct action against him. And what's his more, and this is my speculation, now by all accounts, he was reeling from the death of his beloved wife in 1867, which was right when the feud was starting. And he remarried in 1873, so it's I think it's entirely possible that the grief of his wife and later of his sons kept him out of commission, so to speak, for the feud. In
1: 1873, after the death of his wife and both of his sons, Creed left Kearns County with his daughter Caroline and her family and moved to Kimball County in West Texas. That year, Creed married Livonia Spencer, the young cousin of his son-in-law, and together they had five more children. He still continued to pop up here and there in the historical record of Texas, including at the 1880s trial of William Butler for the fracas at Dalyville. In his old age, Creed became regarded as an authoritative voice of Texas history. Taylor died in 1906 and is buried in Knoxville Cemetery in Knoxville, Texas, located northwest of San Antonio and Fredericksburg. He was believed to be the
2: last surviving direct participant in the Battle of Gonzales and San Jacinto. Now, historian James T. DeShields published a book in 1935 of Creed's memoirs titled Tall Men with Long Rifles, and he stated that it was written as dictated to a neighbor. This was quite a popular book in his time, and it's fueled his legend. Unfortunately, though, modern historians have determined that while there is record of Creed participating in many and even most of the events described that we've talked about here, some of the anecdotes attributed to Creed may be tall tales or even just downright fabrications.
0: Possibly the story of El Muerto, the, the headless horseman Texas. Right, the story of, of El Muerto,
2: right. And this is because De Shields never actually met Taylor. He based his book on another manuscript written by another guy named James Hunter, who probably did know Taylor and had heard some of his stories. The Shield may have embellished on Creed's stories it was common in time to do that, placing him at or near key events, such as the abandonment of the come-and-take-it flag and the canon, of Milam's death and of the capture of Santa Anna to make the story more interesting and more sellable.
0: Yeah, but for what it's worth, Creed's grandchildren and great-grandchildren have clear memories of the stories and tales the old man would regale them with. Uh, Even in his life, he was known for spinning some wild yarns. Whatever the case, even if the details are embellished, no one can argue that Creed Taylor lived a fascinating life as an eyewitness to Texas history.
1: This would be a good time in the episode for us to stop and reflect on some of our thoughts of Creed Taylor and his life.
2: Right. And Mike, you did a lot of the research on this and you read a lot of the material and we've had discussions about this and you kind of come to this different conclusion about the feud itself.
1: As we broke it up in the episode, there's really three phases to Creed's life, especially from a historical perspective. The first is of Creed, the participant, the Texas Patriot, the one who was present at all of, you know, he was he was present at the First Battle of Texas, he was present at the Last Battle of Texas, he was a Texas Ranger, he was an Indian fighter, he was a soldier, and he had this very brave and patriotic legacy that really fits into our image of what a Texas patriot should be. And then you move into this second phase where his boys and his brother and a bunch of his family really become wild outlaws during Reconstruction. And they just run absolutely wild, and they're, they're killing soldiers, and they're killing black people, and they're terrorizing people, and they're, they're just causing all kinds of hell from one end of the state to the other. And when you read Smallwood's book, which is actually very well done, and I, and I do recommend it, it is a bit of a controversy compared to the original older manuscripts because it does put some responsibility on Creed for what his, what his family does and says, well, he's there, he's sheltering them, he's involved, and everybody sort of says, well... He's Creed. He's not really involved, but he's been involved in every other thing in Texas, so he makes the assumption that why would he not be involved in this as well? Because he's such a gregarious and involved person. Now, whatever the truth is, we may never know, and that's one of the the difficulties of history, is we we have to go based on the sources we find. But it's that third phase of when he becomes the narrator for Texas— and we jokingly referred to Creed Taylor as, as our like because, you know, as in that movie, Creed shows up everywhere. From start to finish, he's got his fingers in some pie of what happens in Texas. Good, bad, up or down, I really think that that's why we find Creed so appealing, is that he represents the light and the dark of Texas to me.
2: Right. And he's, a, he's like Jim Bowie and like... Lafitte, and like Sam Houston, he has a dark side. He has a light side. You, you're right, and he has—he's a complex character, and that's what's fascinating about him.
0: One could argue that Creed Taylor is kind of like the Forrest Gump of Texas history.
2: That—that's—that's that's something I didn't think about, but that's actually really a good comparison as well. Just that—that that observer of history who was there, not necessarily a full participant, not the key participant, but he was off there on the side seeing everything. And—and yeah. and to be fair to his legacy, and, and you know, this—the notion that he made up all these stories, or someone made up all these stories. The cannon that they found in the river where he described exactly where it was, they found a the cannon that matches the description of the come and take it
0: canon. Yeah. And you could argue that even, even if he's telling somebody else's stories, he's still telling the stories. And those stories are, you know, vital parts of our history. So the other
1: part of it for the mythical Taylor Creed becomes this. He was there. He was involved in some sense. And we again, historically, probably until until time travel becomes relatively easy. We're never going to know the exact sequence of events and how much he participated. But he was there. His family was there, and it started with Josiah. Josiah came with a failed Gutierrez-McGee expedition, and something about Texas struck a chord, and he came back, and he brought his family here. And then, for better or worse, they became Texan.
2: Right, and in a, and into this the Sutton Taylor feud, in, in a lot of ways, much like the Carnes County War, there was not a lot of good guys in the situation. I mean, Helm was a bad dude, and he was on the Sutton side. Buck Taylor was was a really bad dude, and he was on you know the Taylor side. So there was there was bad deeds going on on both sides.
1: I certainly would not want to be an apologist for any side of of these stories and I would hesitate to use the phrase and say they're all bad men. I would just say that these were hard times and these were hard men. And you read tales, you know, Smallwood certainly paints the Sutton's Regulators in a much brighter light than a lot of conventional literature, but he's still very honest about the fact that these were the lawmen. So when you think of Tombstone and Wyatt Earp and what seems like such heavy handed tactics of, you know, pistol whipping people and dragging them out in the streets and kicking them with your boots and spurs. It's kind of standard operating procedure in, <laughs> right. in this time period.
2: <laughs> right. But, but Helm, Helm executing two men in front of their wives was, was yes. even beyond the pale, even for the time. Right.
1: And, and just as the Taylor boys executed Sutton, Sutton in front, in front of and his wife. blew his brains all over his pregnant wife.
2: Yeah. I, I think we, we also talked about that, that DeWitt County is right next to Carnes County and, next there, to Wilson County. And next to, but but we talked about there is there's such a lack of information of the one thing that you really wanted to see and that was the interaction that that crossing of paths between Creed and your other hero from the time
1: William G Butler. William G
2: Butler.
1: <laughs> well, I think, you know, this was a again, this was a time of hard men. It's a frontier. There's You know, what law there is is what law you make. When there is no law, you know, it's, it's what you carry in your six gun. And the interesting thing Smallwood says is that all of this happens in the small towns in the frontier. It happens out, it happens away from the cities. We don't see it in San Antonio. There's a few things in Indianola, but really any kind of town is pretty law, you know, it's pretty lawful. It's just when you get out to people's farms, when you get out, you know, all these ambushes and stuff, these aren't happening downtown in the cities. They're happening out in the country. And so these were just, these were hard country folks killing each other for
2: no good reason. And it was the same thing happening in the corners up in the north.
1: And, and as we covered in Reconstruction, all of this was really happening under the purview of a whole other political agenda. And so these things that might have been curtailed in, in earlier or later times a lot easier, a lot faster, were just allowed to just burn like wildfire because of the lack of authority, respect for authority. And it was letting Texas kind of burn for a few years on principle.
2: Right. And, and that was... One of the things I read, I did read, that may have been why the feud stopped is that everybody was blood white. The county was blood white. Everybody had killed each other off to the point there was no more animosity anymore because nobody was alive to be angry about it.
1: A final note I would say is that a lot of weight in conventional modern literature is given to the Taylor-Sutton feud and to the action of of Creed Taylor's sons. But we should not let it lessen the legacy of the fact that He is a Texas patriot, and for better or worse, he's one of our first. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm
2: at Max Sean two ins.
1: And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.